Welcome back, Rabbi Dr. Eliezer Brutt. It's a pleasure to be with you as we endeavor to record a conversation about Birchas Kayanim. We're learning Masechta Saita now. We just learned in the Mishnah Masechta Saita a list of things that are in Lashon Kaidish that have to be said after Lashon Kaidish, other things that can be read Bukha Lashon. Birchas Kayanim is mentioned there, and the Gemara spends at least a couple of them discussed the Mirchas Kayanim. So what better time to discuss a unknown controversy that took place in the city of Breida in Galicia. This is a place where Eliezer Brutt spends a lot of brain power and a brain time researching that time of history. And this is about an episode with Rabbi Ephraim Zalman Margolis, who, as Rabbi Brutt will tell you, is one of his five top heroes, if he used that expression. Rabbi Brat, how are you today? Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. So before we begin, you want to give maybe a one-minute backdrop on Rafael Zal Margolis and which Sefer may the audience recognize his name from? We are going to do it. Um, we're going to get to it soon. Unless you want to do it right now, we could do it right now. Which would you rather? Whichever um, works for you. We'll do it better soon. We'll do it better soon. We'll first, we'll introduce the topic, get to the topic, and then we'll get to Befraim Zalman shortly. Excellent. Momentarily. Okay. Yeah. So let's uh, jump right in. Birchas Kayanim. In Eretz Yisrael, they do it every single day. In Chutzla Aretz, we only are zeichet to have Birchas Kayanim. And Yantif, perhaps give us the sources for this minig and these halachas of how Klal Yisrael is noyig b'zmanazeh. Okay, so uh, okay, so first, just I'm not gonna. Okay, so first we'll begin like this. I would like to thank Mechon um, Ad Hena, which a few years back I was part of this Mechon with professor with under the professor Moes Kahana at the time, and I did a lot of research relating to Galicia. And that's how I got to do researching this particular topic. From this topic, it sprung into Rabbi Ephraim Zalmar Golis to working on producing a whole book of Rebbe, on, about Rabbi Ephraim Zalmar Golis. Sadly, it's not, it has not yet been published, but the spark of the whole story and everything that I spent about three years researching Rabbi Ephraim Zalmar Golis was through this tshuva that we're going to learn about today. And that relates to the sugya of Duchening daily. Uh, depends how you'll say it. I'm going to probably switch back and forth. I apologize. Duchening, whatever it is. But basically, I live in Artisrael. In Artisrael, we're Zaycha, that if you have Kayanim and Yeminyan, not always do I have it, but you're able to be Makayim a special mitzvah of Birchus Kayanim every day. In Chutzlards, Ashkenazi Jews only Duchen on Yom Taivim. The Marshal Svardim in Chutzlards, I believe they do Duchen daily. I recall um, somewhere, seeing somewhere that Rav Steinman, when he came to, to America the first time, they made sure that he'd take him to a Svar Dominion at least some of the time, so you should hear Berchitz Kahanim. Absolutely. I failed to mention at the beginning that the Svardim here do um, do Berchat Kohanim every day, and I recall hearing um, that Rav Chaim Pinchashamurg also, I think, uh, made sure when he was in America, I could uh, verify this, but I recall that as well. When I was back and I was in Yeshiva, I had a friend who used to stay by his home. He was related to him. And I think they used to have a special minion there um, where they had Duchening. Mm. 
So, so, but the, so basically the question is, and this is a question that a lot of people ask and asked over the generations is why did it stop? So there's been, and now there have been various attempts also to revive this mitzvah, most famous about the Gra. We'll get to it short. We'll get to it at the end. But the subject of this particular presentation is mostly about a controversy that took place in the early 1800s in Breid in Galicia. It involved a shul in which Kehanim began duchening every day. Very unknown fact, but it actually seemed to have happened. Now, so the backtrack for a minute is like this. The Rambam writes, is a mitzvah It appears that most earlier Rishayim held like this Rambam and was done daily. At a certain point in the 14th century, it seems this practice was discontinued in various, in some regions. A short while later, the Maril wrote an explanation for this change, even though it's a mitzvah minatayr l'chayr. The Beis Yosef brings this down, and he writes, Praiseworthy are those in Eretz Yisrael and Mitzrayim who do dochen every day. I mean to say he was not into, the, he did not like to reason the Maril. The Ramah, in Darkei Moshe, and also in later on in his the Mapa in the Shulchan Aruch, he writes defending the Ashkenazi custom in Eretz that it's weekday Yidden are under a lot of stress to make parnasa, so they're not so besimcha, so we don't tochen. Even on Shabbos they worry a lot about parnasa, so there's, it's because of simcha. Only on Yontif, when there's an additional mitzvah v'samachta do we tochen. Now. The, this is a, a reason that the Ramah suggests. The Marshal, um, the Magen Avram, when he talks about not dochening, says he brings down that there were people in his time that when Yontif fell out on Shabbos, they didn't dochen. Mean to say, even though the, there's so few times that an Ashkenazi Jews do dochen on in Chutzlaritz, there were still times that they would try to find excuses, so to speak, why not to. So the Magen Avram says one reason, he's, he's trying, he doesn't hold that he should, but he says, why? Maybe it has to do with because of the tefillah of Rebbeinu Shalaylam, where he's diving to, for the Chalaymas, and um, which is usually recited during Berchus Kehanim, and just like we don't say Avinu Makeno on Shabbos, but that's but not that that's what one should do. You mentioned Yom Tif coinciding with Shabbos about Duchning and Atuchning, I recall, and the listeners could, uh, maybe you yourself know, let's say Shabbos on Shabbos Cholomoyed. There are certain Hasidim, I believe, that also duchen. I think the Stamenik is not to duchen. I recall Stamer could be others. They duchen on Shabbos Cholomoyed. I don't, I don't remember about that. That's interesting. That is an interesting idea. Um, I don't, offhand, I don't remember. But the Taz, he writes, Lamashal Yantif, that falls on Shabbos, you should duchen. He, and he brings down even Adam Gadol that also told us, Tzibar Tafka to duchen. Now, um, and other Paiskim, Rabbi Yaakov Emden, Daderes writes about this, that this, this is, a, he, they find it very hard that people, the few times that you're supposed to be duchening, looking for coolest, why not to duchen? The Marshal, the Shail Meshev, writes, he visited Krakow in 1854. He davened in the shul of the Ramah, and on Yantir, that fell on Shabbos, they did dochen. And, he told, and they told him that this was the meaning in all of Krakow. Okay. Anyway, be there as it may, Lamaisa in Chutzlaritz, it's not done on a daily basis. Why is this so? So, this is not the scope of today's shir. But Professor Eric Zimmer collected in his, in, uh, all about the Minig in his work called Eilam Kiminagai Noyig, and he and he deals with collecting the different from the times of the Rishayim that talk about it till 
um, recent literature about it from all the different Achreinim about it. Okay. Now, one of the most famous topics, one, sorry, one of the most famous truvis on this topic is written by Rabbi Ephraim Zalman Golis. And it's first printed in 1818 by Rabbi Ephraim Zalman Golis in his Truvis Because Rabbi Ephraim Zalman Golis is the main story, character in the story today, so I'm going to just give a drop of introduction, which is what you referred to earlier about Rabbi Ephraim Zalman Golis. He's born in 1760. He dies in 1828. Now, um, he, in, he's very, very prominent, both in the Litvish world and in the Hasidish world. Lamashal, his classic work for the Yemei El and Tishrei, is the Mata Ephraim. He was not the typical Gadol. He was a very wealthy man. He did not serve as a Rav, but he was considered from the greatest Gedolim in his Tkufa. He was on the Gedolim Hadar Beli Guzmi. As a, as a youngster, he writes about his youth in his introduction to his work on Trefus, That So here we can already get a glimpse about him. This is him writing it, not a story that someone's saying. I remember as a child of nine years old how my father would study with me. He would, make, he would wake me up early, and I learned almost half a shas by heart with him. We would go for walks during which we'd, he would tell me various chedushim. He would also test me by asking me a question from a sefer of a specific child's in Shuvis, and he would see what my solution to the question was. Bekitzer, already at a young age, he was an Eli. He was close contact with the G'dayle Eilam of his Tkufa, such as Naidim Yehuda, writing to him when he's in his, in his young teens. The Shagis Ayer, Bishai Berlin, Rebbe Fol Hamburger, Chaim Velazhner, Mishkinus, Yankiv, the Chsam Seifer, Rebbe just to list a few. He wrote extensively in all types of topics, Lemashal. And, and not only that, they were, many of it was published in his lifetime, most likely because he had the funds to be able to publish it. He also published manuscripts of others that were found in his vast, incredible library. Some of his writings was Shari Ephraim and Hilchas Kriya Satira, Mat Ephraim we mentioned, Tiv Gitten, which in Mertz Hashem we will hopefully speak more about in Masechtas Gitten, which is an encyclopedia about the names of Gitten, Rush Ephraim, which is four volumes on Hilchas Trefis, Beis Ephraim, hundreds of Chuvas on Dalachelki Shulchan Aruch, Shem Ephraim, which is devoted to Rashi on Tanakh, Zerah Ephraim, which is an extensive Be'indika Pirish on Psikta. Anyway, returning to the tshuva, in eighteen that that he that Rabbi Ephraim Zalman publishes in eighteen eighteen, this is can be found in Arachayim Beis Ephraim, and it says in it's Shelavav. He says Lechvayd Yedidi, and he doesn't say the name of the person. Most of the tshuvas of Rabbi Ephraim goes does say the name here. It doesn't. And then he says that Bedvar Ashashol. In all our places, basically, what's pshat? How did this minute get abolished? So now Rufraim Zama goes and he has a few pages and he comes to defend the minig that developed about it. So first he says, it's a minig already for over 500 years. He says, Lamashal de Maril, Shahaya Rabam shall call Gedoyle Medinas Ashkenaz, Vaagar, Darke Maisha, Bishokhanarch Baga, that so therefore it's already an accepted minig, Venir Medivraim Shainlazmiya Minig. It's an accepted minig, not to Duchen. So first, it's not even if we don't understand it, it's a this is a whole parsha which we're not going to go into today, which is how minig gets accepted once it gets accepted, and this is a in very prominently um, Nagay and Rabbi Ephraim Zalman's writings, but we're not going to discuss it today. 
Anyway, he he Bikitzer, he does discuss some de- various defenses. For example, he says there's a dion in the gedolei chuvas um, of the various gedolei achreinim about the yichus of today's koyhanim. So we don't tochen as often in order to avoid a possible brachal batala. And he offers different justifications from a wide range of sources. Over sixty svarim are quoted in here. Many different. Uh, historical materials are, some are rare, demonstrating his his historical expertise, which we'll also get to shortly. At first glance, it seems that we have over here a typical tshuva. Rebbe Zalman wrote a tshuva because he was asked a question, and we have no idea who he wrote it for. And there will be no reason to assume there is anything more to the story. And this is how he prints it. He printed it. It wasn't published by his Einikluch later on, and they didn't want they they did some censorship. Okay. Lamaisa, this tshuva is in this topic, it's very much quoted by Achreinim. And and like the way the world works, Baruch Hashem, we, in recent discoveries, we have Rebaruch Tumim Frankel, contemporary with Rebbe Zalman Margolis, um, recent was published um, a bunch of Ha'aris of his on tshuva space Ephraim. And this tshuva, he has a bunch of different things that he takes issue with what Rebbe Zalman writes. But this was only this was published a few years back. Now, Fast forward, um, this is the story, let's say, in 1818, and going onwards, if someone was learning this, still be there. Fast forward to 2004. In recent times, basically, there's this, the sale of rare documents have become rather popular at auctions. Incredible, incredible story that needs to be told. One day, maybe we'll tell part of the story. Daily, sometimes weekly, auctions are, take place all over the world, thanks to the internet, um, where these documents are sold, and they're sold sometimes for large sums of money. Sadly, many of the documents disappear after being purchased, and the important information they contain is lost. June 22nd, 2004, an auction house in Yerushalayim writes in their auction catalog a little earlier, which they released it, they said, we have this manuscript of a tshuva of Rebbe Magolis in his handwriting that was not published. It's about 17 pages, and it is it's relating to this tshuva that we quote in the Beis Ephraim, and it's an incredible story that was there's no documentation anywhere else that such a thing happened, and whoever buys it is going to be able to get it, and we're not going to tell you who the author who the tshuva was written to, whoever our researchers figured this out and whatever fine, so. Baruch Hashem, we have today that there are a few collectors who, when they buy the materials, they do release the materials afterwards. One such collector, who I'm very, I have Meir the Kakar from Bechlal for his work, and, and this particular tshuva I have unbelievable Kakar for him, is removing Destler of Cleveland, Ohio. He has published six beautiful volumes called Shmeis Darvadar. They contain valuable information about Jewish communities in many different regions. The fourth volume of the set, he published the 17 pages without censoring anything. And here, once you open up these two, this thing, you see it's almost double the amount of material than what we have. But more than that, all of a sudden, a whole different thing happens that we did not know about beforehand. Is someone allowed to ask, why wasn't this in the tshuva? Is it perhaps wasn't meant for public, public consumption and you can't learn Halacha from it. How do you how do you relate to these types of findings? That is a that is a very good question. I the, it's not there's no clear um, answer to it. Lemashal over here, Rafaim Zalmar Golis 
published his main points he put he included in his base of frying. But over here, once you see when you can hear the story, it's taka interesting. Maybe we shouldn't have maybe no one should have bought it and no one should have published it. But then I would have been out of book. So I have to say that I have the Kara Satayv to, to Rev Dessler and I hold that it, 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 the way the story seems to end, it, it ended up b'shalim. It was not one of these controversies that it sounds like, as I'll be able to prove pretty much, it sounds like everything was b'shalim. So I guess in this particular case, it's okay. Um, okay, now what happens? It turns out we first know it's addressed to his friend. It says a, a chassid by the name of Rav Shmuel. So I'll just point out right away, we're not talking about a chassid a shayid, a chassid in Rabbi Ephraim Zalman's terminology, and when we now know who um, who this yid was, it means a person who was mamish, who did things lefnim mishur sadin. Okay. Anyway, Bekitzer, what do we have over here? I'm gonna, I'm just translating loosely from the document, and it's unbelievable all the different lines and the wordings and everything, but obviously, Mirzashem, if I'm zaycha, to publish my book on the sugya, you'll be able to see it much, much more by Rikos. It says like this, I've heard that you have instructed the kainim in your shul to duchen every day, in contradiction to what's written in Shulchan Aruch about our region, Galicia. One who does so is strange, and thus many are wondering, why are you doing such a thing in our community? Braid was a chash of a city in Galicia, which is full of Talmidi Chachamim, without seeking counsel from them. No, you didn't ask anyone and you're doing this. Furthermore, you have instructed that this be done from now on and, and you wrote this respectively. You wrote very not about my master and grandfather, the Ramah, whose piski din we fully accept in these regions as if it's heard from Sinai. I'm giving a little, I'll quote the exact Hebrew Lashon about that soon. I've, I was asked to inform you that we do not agree with your actions and you should recant by issuing a statement that your previous instructions was a mistake. It's obvious from ready reading these lines that this tshuva was not a response to a question. Rather, the Mata Ephraim, Rabbi Ephraim Zalman was writing a letter to this person because of what was being done in his shul and pretty much the kihila was getting involved and saying, no, 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 you can't do this. Now you have to understand, Rabbi Ephraim Zalmagolos, although he wasn't the Rav of the city, he was the top three Askanim in the city. Everything that took place in the city he was involved with. And basically, probably him and the other people, they held that there's a, there's a problem. And we're going to discuss in the duration a little bit why he held it was a problem. But first, who is this Rabbi Shmuel? So based on the, the pieces of information, we're able to tell it's a, it's a Yid Reb Shmuel Astra. He was a known Chassid, again, not Chassidish, but as a tremendous Oivir Hashem, who died in 1829. We know about him. It seems Reb Ephraim Zalmagos is already good with his grandfather. He learned Kabbalah with this Yid's grandfather. But that's that, and his grandfather was was part of the famous Chachmei Kloiz way back in the time of the name Yehuda. But that's not beyond the scope of today's presentation. The kids are they write about this Yid? He was Rav Chassid Vikadish Tzadik Yisoid Oilam. Okay, now he wrote to Chiburim, which we'll discuss in a second. Just to understand, and this is how I know that the fight obviously ended B'Shalim. The great Roshleimah Kluger who was very, very close with Rafaim Zalmar Golis. Before he became a Dayan in Vilna, in, not in Vilna, sorry, it's, for, it's a slip over there, but for obvious reasons. Um, but anyway, Reb Shleimah Kluger was the Darshan in the city of Roy. So he used to give Hespedim. So he gave a Hespid 
on this on this Rav Shmuel. We have it in manuscript, an incredible, um, the manuscript is sitting in Hebrew University, and B'kitzah over there, you see him referring to him as Mamash HaKadosh Elion. He's a chassid. People used to come to him to daven. He he um he used to learn he Reb Shlomo Kluger writes he used to loymed yoyman velayla mespalyon velayla kol gufay have a kaddish vitar he stayed at home he didn't have any tivus of tivus of of oylem hazeh this is Reb Shlomo Kluger writing Reb Shlomo Kluger is not one to exaggerate kuzeh. He says also that um, um, he also stresses in the thing something interesting that people that would come to him with the tzitzis, he would he'd come to his house, he would right away check the tzitzis to make sure they're being that the taka that the tzitzis is kosher, whatever that story behind that is. And the last nakud is he ends off his hespid. We just suffered the great loss of Rabbi Ephraim Zalman, and then we got the, the next person who we lose is this Rabbi Shmuel. Anyway, so it sounds like the, this fight, whatever happened. It seems that the Rav Shmuel stopped tochening in his clothes. Anyway, Bekitzer, he writes two svarim. One's a safer Tyrus Adam, and one's a safer Ksav Yosher. They're very Kabbalistic, based a lot on Zoyar, Arizal, Mishnah's uh, Chasidim. And in there we find, Lamashal, a quote. He says, Birchus Gehanim is a mitzvah that we can't do daily. But he says it's because of Shvacha reasons. Um, he, then he says it's because they didn't have the Sefer Kabbalah. If we, if they would know the greatness of in what it says in Kabbalah's farm about the Hashivas of Nesias Kapayim, they wouldn't have come up with such Shvachos Svaris. And he says all different types of Lashonis in his farm, um, um, not not only about Nesias Kapayim, but he talks about he has a lot of interesting things that one could find in the farm. So what we see from here is. That it's that um, it's not just that that he wrote this in a sefer. And when was this farm published? They were published, I believe, it's in eighteen ten and seventeen ninety nine. He actually went ahead. Not only did he just say that the, that the taina of the duchening the limut shvach, he went ahead and 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 put it into his kehila. It could have been a small kehila, and they started duchening daily. Okay, now. Now, first, Rabbi Ephraim Zalman writes, in, and this is in the parts that are not in the in the published parts. He says, "How could you say as if as if the Ramah? It sounds like you're saying the Ramah wasn't a makubal, didn't know anything about Kabbalah. The Ramah was a baki niflin Kabbalah. Anyone who knows his sefer Tyrus Aila, he's not only that. We have his Aris on Zayar, which Kenireh was based on his shiurim. He gave him his yeshiva on Zayar. Then he writes a long list of gedolim that were great chashavah kaihanim." He says like this. Not only was the Ramah who says like this, but the Sma was a kind, the Shach, Sheris Yosef, Reb Naftali Katz, um, the Shev Yankiv, Reb Chaim Rappaport, Reb Rafael Hamburger, my Rebbe, the Chassid Shabakuna, Reb Yitzhak Isaac, Av Bezen of Kretz, and many others. And these people were great Mekubalim. To say on them that they didn't know about Kabbalah and the Shefa and the Ilamais, that what happens with Birchus Kahanim, and they didn't do it. And then he lists some others. But Kitzer, there's all different lines and, and Kudis to be aiming on in this, in this document that are not included in the Tshuva. Then he ends up criticizing him on many other things. It sounds like that it wasn't just that he, do, he started to reinstitute um, that his that they should do duchening daily. In the Svarim already, he's very into Tfilm the Rabbeinu Tam. And, he's, and basically, in his shul, he wanted people, even the Amaratzim, to wear Rabbeinu Tam Tfilm. Then he held that he had some type, he says some type of Lashon, even to hold your tzitzis in your hand the whole day, not just during Kriyashma. Also, you're supposed to picture in your mind as if you're being Yitzit Cheles, 
these are different things that that um, this Reb Shmuel writes about in his svarim, and it seems he not only did he write about them, but he he acted upon them and had his kehila of not necessarily Talmud Chachamim doing. Now, each one of the practices that Rabbi Shmuel encouraged, Rabbi Ephraim Zalman shows why it's wrong. He goes at great length, and this we see Rabbi Ephraim Zalman's incredible Yadiyas in Kabbalah. He goes, you think you have Shad and Darizal? Wrong. You have the, you're using a faulty edition of the Sefer Darizal. I have in my possession a manuscript of Darizal. The kids are, all different things come out from here. We get to see Rabbi Ephraim Zalman as far as Kabbalah. the Vichulu. Vichulu. And it seems is, at the end, he says, if you don't stop what you're doing, we're going to come out against you with all our power and everything. If not, I won't publish it. So Kinnereh must be that what happened is that he got this letter, he read the letter, he saw Rebbe Fraim Zalman means business, he saw Rebbe Fraim Zalman writes. Maybe he didn't agree with Rebbe Fraim Zalman's reasoning, I don't know. Um, but he, it seems he must have stopped it because then when Rebbe Zalman publishes it in 1818, he takes out all these parts, pages of material. So, and also, as I said, from Rebbe Shlomo Kluger giving a beautiful hesped about him and not saying anything about Rebbe Zalman Golis being against him, it sounds like the fight um, stopped. So it must be that he stopped in his kihila, his small clothes, whatever, the various things that Rebbe Zalman is against. Now the question is like this. First is, is there any way to identify, figure out when this tshuva was written? So the answer is yes. We could figure out, because he, as I said, he quotes over 60 svarim. But you have to look, when are all these svarim quoted? Figuring out, he quotes the Bir Hagra, which is published in 1803. And then he quotes a piece, so, that, so basically means is the earliest, earliest, assuming he got straight from Vilna, hot off the press, the Bir Hagra, and he quote and he's quoting it, so it's going to be somewhere around 1803 is the earliest period of time. Now, but we're able to extend the years even later, and that is as follows: Rabbeinu Tam he quotes, as I said, there's a lot of stuff here relating to Minig, the power of Minig, Bichlal, and Rabbi Fraim Zalman quotes a whole important nukudis from the Sefer Yasha of Rabbeinu Tam. Now, I already mentioned in my shiurim that we have given on all that about Rabbi Kanievsky, Rabbi Zalman, and the Sefer Yasha. He was very into the Sefer Sefer Yasha. But it was only published in 1811. And from the quotes in this tshuva, it's quoting from the Chida. If it was quoting it from that he saw himself, he would have said it. He wouldn't have said, I saw it from the Chida. So it's clear, it seems pretty clear that we're able to go as far as 1811 is the earliest it would have been published. So it has to be that it's taking place somewhere between 1811 and 1818 when Rabbi Ephraim Zalman actually publishes it. Akopanim, why is this Nagea? We'll see in a moment. Um, now, but, but the question really is um, even though this, I said 17 pages and a lot of things are happening in these pages, what got Rabbi Ephraim Zalman so upset? Let's say Rabbeinu Tamtfilin. What is Rabbeinu, what is Rabbi Ephraim Zalman goes hold about about Rabbeinu Tamtfilin? Lamaisa Rabbi Ephraim Zalman wrote a small Musar sefer called Beis Tefila, which he brings down the Rishis Chachma and he says that you should wear two pairs of Rabbeinu, you should wear Rashi and Rabbeinu Tam. So not only that, in Shari Chuva, which again beyond the scope of today, his role in the work Shari Chuva is it his? Is it his brother? Is it his both of them? Over there, also talks about wearing Rabbeinu Tamtfilin and says Kol Yira Hashem Shmoi could wear it. So. All of a sudden, he's get, he's writing in this tshuva. He's upset that that, that Rav Shmuel is instituting in his clothes that people should wear it. Very, very um, requires a um, um, husband. Okay, so one of the things that comes up is it sounds like that he what bothered him and maybe not only him was that he didn't that this Rav Shmuel decided this and he, you're doing something. You're doing something. It's not you're doing something for yourself. You're, when you're if, there's, if it's accepted in Shulchan Aruch to do something and you want to go against it, 
even if you hold that you're right, you have to discuss it. You're sitting in a, a city, Bright is not a shtetl. As I said, Bright had this clothes with elite gedolim, tremendous tamid chachamim. So even if Rafaim Zalman Golis is not a, a, a Balgaiv over here and he's saying, you didn't come to speak to me and learn, chas But there's a, this is a city that is, a, it's a city, not a shtetl, with many gedolim. You come, you want to reinstitute doing something that's not accepted in Shulchan Aruch for a few hundred years, you speak it over and you speak it over and learning. It, it causes, it sends the wrong message, so to speak. Okay. <coughs> it seems that was one thing that bothered him. Now, I would like to take this even a little further. It sounds like from reading into, if, you, if, familiar, if you're familiar with Rafaim Zalmagolis, the Ramah by him is unbelievable. And this is what sort of got him upset on one level. And then I'm going to show that there was even more to the story. Basically like this, a sidetrack for a second in this in this story is like this. In 1900, a small work of Rabbi Ephraim Zalman Margolis was, was printed for first from the first time from manuscript. It's called Mailis HaYuchsen. What happened is like this. A family member asked him if he could put the family's yichus into writing. It wasn't so uncommon in those days. There, there are such documents. And Rabbi Ephraim Zalman, um, it seems he went ahead and did it. Now, it's not just, okay, here's my yichos, I'm an enical of this gado, I'm an enical of this gado, whatever. No, no, not at all. So there's a professor, Chaim Gertner, he analyzed this type of writing in, in the 1800s, he breaks it down to different, there's different styles, and there's different types. Uh, what it, what I was able to see, at first glance, someone might say, what's this Milo Sayyuchsen? It's similar to other works that we have of, of which even big people used to write. A lot of times you find in a tshuva sefer, they'll say, and my yichus is, I'm related to these gedailim. Okay, it's fine, but no. If you look at this work very carefully, which I, I definitely could say, I spent a lot, a lot of time on this chibur. It's a small chibur, but I spent a crazy amount of time on it. Um, you'll see as follows. Almost half the work is devoted to his great-grandfather, Amah. He he devotes space to other gedolim, and he says a lot of important things throughout this work. But he's meshunadik into the Ramah. The Ramah is mamish. He talks about tons of historical aspects about the Ramah, with using rare books which he owned. He had a meshunadik farm library. He had first prints. He had manuscripts, and he knew everything re- relevant on the sugya. He talks about all different types of things. I'm not going to go into all different examples, but it turns out that this is the first extensive work written about the Ramah but it remained in manuscript until 1900. Now, up till now, in the, we always thought that when does the historical, people start writing historical works, like books about the Ramah, so to speak, it's more like in the 1860s. And it means, say, until the 1860s, if someone wanted to find out information about the Ramah, yeah, you opened up your, your kosher svarim. What's the kosher svarim? The Tzemach David, the Seder Dairis, the Chida, and they have material about the Ramah, but a few lines. Then all of a sudden, in the 1860s, without getting into what happened, but various monographs were printed, some first in newspapers, then in books, some were written by Maskilim, some were written by Frum Tyredika people, and Lamashal, in 1874, a book on Krakow called Ir Tzedek, there was a collection of important material in the Ramah, and all different things, there's a lot of material about the Ramah that they pulled from different places, some manuscripts, from some from the writings. Turns out, that Rabbi Ephraim Zalman beat them all out because he dies in 1828. He wrote this book way before all this is happening, but no one had it, so they didn't know about it. Anyway, but when you see how much he devotes the Ramah, how much he talks about the Ramah, and Bechlal and his chuvis l'shayness that he has about the Ramah, then you could begin to understand that already you're starting up with the Shulchan Aruch. You're not starting up with, it's not only that you're, um, 
that you didn't ask advice and everything. It's accepted. It's a Pesach and Shulchan Aruch. End of discussion. You can't just go and decide you want to do for your Kehillah something else. And this is a, a very important point. And this was Kinnereh, one of the things that got Rebbe Fraim Zalma goes very angry. Now, besides for that, he raises a bunch of different points, which is not for now. Okay, now. But I would like to go step one more, um, one more Nakuda into this story, and it's as follows. It's well known in the 17th, in 1770s, there was a ban against the Hasidim by different Gedolim. There was various, so to speak, complaints about them. Now, some of these bans, what's the significance of them? It was signed by none other than the going of, of the, the rebellion of Mivilna, the Gra. Reading through the various complaints, one can see that some some of it, again, there's a lot, not necessarily do we know the whole story. There's obviously parts that today we don't know as much as the Hasidim write about it and the Litvaks write about it. There's a lot of the story we can read, don't know. But we see that there was an issue with masses learning Kabbalah. Not only learning Kabbalah, they daven Lamashal from a Siddur Kavanas Arizal, which it's not for Hamoinam. If you're a Makobal and you're tremendous Talmud and you want to do it, that's one thing. But for a person who doesn't understand it, this was very much bothering, uh, this bothered a lot of people. Lamashal, the Kloiz of Breit, which was, they learned intense Kabbalah. They were people that learned Gemara Ashitaisis, Paiskim Halacha, such as Yehuda, Chaim Sanzer, many others. But they and they also learned Kabbalah. So it was not they weren't people that held the not to learn Kabbalah. They learned Kabbalah, but they held it has to be done by someone that's roy, someone's uh, that he's mali be So they issued a ban, and the Kloys of Bride were one of the groups that were against it. And they they did this already as early as 1756 against people that were doing it, um, relating to another controversy. Now, in 1772, when it was collected, the bands, the various bands. The, it was published in a booklet against the Hasidim. Recently, this booklet sold on auction for incredible sums of money, as it's very rare, because Hasidim burnt most of the copies that they that they were able to find. There's not too many copies around today. Now, what was the fear of the G'daylum at the time? Was the danger that could come from people not Roy who are learning Kabbalah. This was not a far-off fear dating to Shapsi in 1666. We say it's not that, oh, because in 1666 there was a Shapsay Tzvi movement and we're nervous about it. It was really because in this time period, in the 1770s and even later, and we're gonna, that's what we're going to get to right now, there was something going on in this region, not in a Vite region, in Timbuktu, in the regions over here that affected them, and that was the Frankist movement. They did terrible virus, and they were very active in this Kufa. And now, just to point something, and that's why the years of this whole controversy play a very important role here. And that's as follows. In 1799, the, the Rav of the city Prague, one of the biggest cities of Europe at the time, Rabbi Eliezer Fleckless, gave a series of three drushes devoting to blasting the, the, the Frankism movement that was going on in his city, the Hainu, the biggest city, one of the biggest cities of Yidin in Europe at the time. In 1800, he prints one of them. He Now, he learned much about his shittas, about the sugya from his great rabbi, the Naidim Yehuda. Had a, and he writes as such in the introduction to this Hebrew Havas David that I learned from this, from different things that I learned from my rabbi, the Naidim Yehuda. And he, and he says, not, and he refers to a famous drasha that my rabbi gave about the sugya. But Kitzer, 
he gave a drasha, a few drashas, talking about this terrible thing. And he wasn't talking about, oh, because there's a city in Timbuktu that they're, they're being nechshol. It was in his city. This was a very big problem. Now, just understand, after the drasha, the, we have accounts that say riots erupted in the city. Even though he didn't mention names, but the mob knew who he was referring to. There were people that attacked the, the that was, it seems like he was tied to these groups, the people attacked it. There was, a, there was a woman who was targeted. There was all different things happening in shuls because the people were known. Now, the point that I'm trying to bring out is that in this city, which Rabbi Ephraim Zalmagolis is those years, the early, he's active in those years, he knows Rabbi Fleckless, he knows what's going on in Prague, he has direct ties to what's going on in Prague, how it's not important for today, but basically, they hear, they know, and it's not only in Prague, they know about this movement, this terrible movement called Frankism. And in this drasha that, that Rabbi Eliezer Flexus publishes, he stresses a bunch of times in Akuda, which is, people were learning Kabbalah and they didn't master Tyre before, they didn't master Shasa Paiskin first. People that were in Rai were learning Kabbalah. And we know from other places that he, he has very sharp stance about the, about learning Kabbalah Bechlal, and people have said, oh, it can't be, he doesn't really mean it, but if you know what the, the Yehuda also said about these sugyas, and the Naim also knew Kabbalah ganz fine, as I said, he learned to the clothes of Bride, Kabbalah even, they knew about it, they knew Kabbalah, they understood Kabbalah, the problem was not about learning Kabbalah, the problem was who's learning Kabbalah, if it's in the wrong hands, the wrong people, this is the one of the most dangerous things. And this is what bothered people time and time again. Now, so what happens like this in Prague? This is what bothers them. Just to suggest, the Rebbeleza Fleckless he gives the drush in 1799. In 1800, he publishes it. First episode, he published it right away. The answer was because the, the Averis that the Frankist movement did was such prosta Averis, he couldn't even say them in the in the Tzibur, but he wanted to say it. So he held at least he could write it. So he publishes it, even though the drush as a whole and Rebbeleza Fleckless was known as a Meyerdikadarshan. Um, he talks about, he probably spoke about some things, I highly doubt he speaks as graphic as he does in the writings of what the Averis were, and that's why he was, that's why I'm, I'm suspicious, not suspicious, I suspect that he went and he published, he made sure to publish it, it was a Meyerdika problem in this big city, now Breit is another big city now again, I'm not accusing Chas Shalom that this Rav Shmuel is a Frankist or anything like that, but the Kehila his people, when you read the Tshuva of Ephraim Zalman, you'll see where Ephraim Zalman says the people in your Kehila, they're Amaratzim they have no business doing different things that you do. You say if, if you ask Rabbi Ephraim Salman, should Rabbi Shmuel, this Makubal, put on Rabbeinu Tanzvil? And he has no problem with that. He's Adam Gadol, as you can see from Rabbi Shlomo Kluger's Hespit. His problem was that you're giving, you're making masses do, you're suggesting for masses to do different things in Yoni Kabbalah. That's the pro, that's what bothered them. And this was what I'm suggesting is one Nakuda in this fight that we Ada Yoim don't know about or. You, you know, when you ask about it, it's better not to ask, and you shush, there was no real fight with Hasidim, there was, there wasn't, who knows, I'm not getting involved with that, about that, but sadly we do know there was something up. Now, just to say one other Maramakam about this, that also is from this period of time in this region, in Galicia, in, in these cities, we have, it just came out in the past few days, a um, uh, incredible work from a Yid, he, he's writing this in the set, in the late, he took, he was involved with 
the Gdoilim fighting the Frankist movement. They had a debate because um, it's a whole different. That's it's a whole for not for now. But they basically had a debate. They 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 were going to burn the, the Talmud, and this person, his name was Rudolf Ber Ber Ber. How do I say his name? Uh, it's a good question. Dov Ber Berchavor. I, I just botched up his name, so whatever. Dov Ber for for today until I can get my teeth back. Dov Ber. Because of this Dov Ber, he wrote a autobiography about his life. He was in the. He dies in the early eighteen hundreds. But he and he also put out a book. He also pu- wrote a book which was not published. Only now it came out from manuscript called Divrei Bina. Divrei Bina is a whole book where he deals with Shabbat talking about well, what Shabbat is about, the whole history of the Shabbat and uh, in depth about the Frankists. But he's saying it out firsthand. What were the problems that was going on? Uh, he the debate he was with the Gedolim about it, and furthermore. Not only is he writing in these regions and you see it's a real thing. It's not a, you know, as I said, it's not a thing in some Timbuktu city very far away. It's real Lemaisa. This is a person in Galicia writing about it. This is Rebeleza Flectus writing about in Prague. These are all, um, they're in communication with each other. So it's very, very relevant. So also over there in this book, Divrebina, you see also the masses were very into learning Kabbalah, Kabbalah, Kabbalah. And and he also says they didn't know how to learn. This is another Nakuda. We're not going to be myrich more about it. We admire too much about it as it is. But Kitzer, fast forward, is that this was the fear of Rebbefraim Zalmar Golis, that it, you're seeking to go reach Madragas and do things, the Hamayin Am. That was what was bothering him also. Now, Lamashal, the Chayi Adam, another ish, ties to Vilna, ties to Prague, like Yehuda, he also in his Tzava, he stresses his kids not to learn Kabbalah. He's not against Kabbalah. He was into Kabbalah. He knew Kabbalah. He knew Kabbalah at a young age. And as the Gadish Pesach, he shows his Mayudik into Kabbalah. He's also not an anti Kabbalist. He's anti that if you're learning it when you're not in the proper Madragas, um, that's going to cause problems. And this is a theme that the Natsiv deals with Barichos in many places in his writings, in Shirashirim, in, in Parshashmini, in Parshash Kairach, other places he brings up, where people seek to reach, they try to reach. Madragas above them. And that caused a tremendous, tremendous problem. Okay, now, so this is possibly the fear of Rabbi Ephraim Zal Magolis in why he came out so strongly against it. But Kinere, what I what I'm suggesting is that he listened to Rabbi Ephraim Zal Magolis. Now, just to end off with one last point, because otherwise, two last points, because otherwise I'm going to get too many emails about, uh, mentioning this thing. This was not the first attempt to revive the custom of duchening every day in Ashkenazi circles. Just to list a few of them, and that's how we'll end. Back to Shapsei Tzvi. People were doing tshuva for all different types of things that they had been making up till now. So in the Portuguese Ashkenazi Kehila in Amsterdam, two chazanim began duchening every Shabbos. But then what happened is they found out that Shapsei Tzvi is a fraud, so the bait broke out if they could continue the practice. So, so the Kitzer Tzitzis Neuvel Tzvi, or the Tzitzis Neuvel Tzvi, as, as he's referred, Rabbi Yaakov Sapertus, was asked, and he replied, they should go back to the original Minig of Amsterdam and not Duchen every day or and Shabbos. Although the country, the, um, he, he had a bunch of reasons for it, and he brings down the Ramah. He says, the Ramah said already that we don't. He says, now that we know Shabbat Tzvi is a fraud, we're back to, we're Mamish not Basimcha. Now, Others held, not like him, and they held. But even though the Minig, they started it because they thought Shapsitzi is real and everything, but 
Lamaisa, the real halacha is that one should do every day, so Lamaisa you should. Anyway, this is a whole discussion, and how could you do it? Um, this also ties into other sugyas, which we're not going to get into right now. Now, fast forward, Aruch HaShulchan writes something very cryptic and not typical for him on this topic. He says, there's no proper reason for our custom to not do every day all year round, but what, what, what can we do? It's as if a voice from Hashem telling us we're not allowed to do he says, I received a tradition that two G'daylim in previous generations attempted to reestablish the custom, but when the day arrived, the attempt was disrupted, causing them to, dec- to declare its exeria from Shemayim. What's he referring to? So the Radal writes that he heard that the Gro wanted to reestablish the Minik, but on that day that he decided to institute it, he was taken to jail on some pretext. He therefore understood that he was not to pursue it. Similarly, the Natsiv writes, Rabchaim Velazhner also wanted to reestablish the Minig on the day of his decision, half the city burned down. It would appear that these two events are what the Aruch HaShulam is referring to. Yes, Rav Nassim Kamenetsky has a whole Arichos in his famous book, The Making of a Gadol, suggesting a whole story, why, a theory, what, what really happened in why Rechaim Velazhin, what went on in Velazhin, why half the city burned down, punked, whatever. These are all theories. The hard, with not real proof. Lemaisa, Rabbi Yisrael Shklover, a Talmud of the Gros Saif Yamav writes in his Pastor Shulchan that from the day he established a Kail in Yerushalayim, they duchened daily following the Sheet of the Gra. Um, okay, now, just to end off, it's interesting to note that there are references to daily duchening from different visitors when they went to Yerushalayim. Taka in Yerushalayim, everyone did duchen, such as we have from Rav Adyum Tanura, the Shla Kaddish, Rav Maisha of Prague, Rav Yosef Schwartz, author of the Tfurisa Aretz in 1837. And then when you see in Tzfas also that people did, it seems at some point in Tzfas they might have stopped. Okay, now, just to conclude, there was one other attempt to reestablish this mitzvah of Eretz Yisrael, of the, the mitzvah outside of Eretz Yisrael in Ashkenazi circles. And that was done by none other than Reb Nassan Adler, who dies in 1800. He was the Rebbe Muvak of the Chsam Seifer, a legendary Gain Oilam and Mekubal. He was a Kayin. He began to duchen every day in his private minion in Frankfurt. For this and other practices that he instituted, he was put in Cherim in 1779 and again in 1789 by the city's G'daylam, including another one of the Chassam Seifer's great Rabbeim, Dafla. Okay, so this, we see that there were attempts by others, and they, so, me say Dafla, I'm sorry, the Renaissance Adler, the Gra, Rechaim Lajan, they did want to do it, but for whatever reasons it didn't work out. And then we have what was unknown, maybe today, uh, a lot uh, through this year, a lot of people will now know that there was an attempt. But Lamaisa, we go, we don't, we're not, we don't do anything once it's in the Shulchan Aruch Paskind. Obviously, that's its own sugya. Do you ever argue on something in the Rama? But Rebbefaim Zalmar Golis comes out that one should not duchin daily in Chutzlar. That's the accepted meaning for hundreds of years. Okay, I can um, obviously we could go down many, many different rabbit holes and many, many different sidetracks and whatever, but I have Rahmanis. Oh wow, and I was able to keep it even much less than I originally thought. Okay, very good. Okay, thank you very much. Rabbi Brat, looking forward to hearing more. Once again, questions, comments, suggestions, and most of all to support the work of Rabbi Dakil Yazer Brat. Please feel free to reach out to us. Dedication, sponsorships. Are welcome, eliezerbrut at gmail.com to reach out to Rebel Eliezer. And you can reach me at schwed, M-S-C-H-W-E-D, at O-U dot org. 
Thank you very much for listening, and we hope to meet again shortly. Thank you.